and they're still going. <laughs> Fantastic. You know, I think, <clears throat> I think Tom Petty said it well. He said, the waiting is the hardest part. And I apologize because this song has been in my head all week long, and it, it might be in yours now as well. But it's true. The waiting is the hardest part. We all know this. It's Christmas morning, and we chomp at the bit to unwrap the gifts or to eat the special meal. Or when the due date comes and then goes, the soon-to-be parents and grandparents wait with eager anticipation and maybe a little trepidation for the child to be born. Or when it's just a few weeks away from a new journey, whether that journey is a vacation or a new job, or an upcoming wedding, or starting a new school. It can be hard to wait because you feel like you're kind of in limbo, right? You're done with the past way of things, and you're anxious to experience something new, something better. That's the feeling that Paul evokes in this second part of Romans chapter 8. Now, so far through Romans, Paul has been bringing forth various illustrations to depict God's great love for us in Jesus and the reality of the Christian life here on earth. So in chapter 5, we were sinners. We were enemies of God who needed rescuing and kind of needed defeated, defeating. In chapter 6, we were the slaves who had been set free but who were struggling to live in that freedom. In chapter 7, we were soldiers fighting against the, the desires of the flesh but having that victory ultimately in Christ. And then already in chapter 8, we were heirs of the kingdom who are awaiting the fulfillment of the Father's promise. Now, as we come to today's text, Paul tells us that this waiting for God's promise to be fulfilled is not easy. Waiting is the hardest part. And Paul discusses this Christian life of waiting in two different pieces. First, he describes the reality that we are caught between the sinfulness of what was and the glory of what will be. And then, in the second part, he provides us with this great comfort that the Spirit of God is with us, that he's speaking for us to the Father, and that he's speaking to us from the Father. And Paul's goal for us is that we would live with hope in the midst of suffering because God is faithful to his promises. So first, Paul describes the, what we call the now and not yet of the Christian life. Because in Christ, we have been made into the children of God. We've received the forgiveness of sins. This is sure. This is certain. His death has destroyed the power of sin for you. And his resurrection has brought you the promise of a new creation. All of that is absolutely true. And yet... Throughout this life, we don't always see it. We don't always experience this in our world. We still struggle with sin. We still experience suffering. And I think this is illustrated well by Michelangelo's unfinished sculptures called The Slaves or, or The Prisoners. There's actually four of them, but the edges of these sculptures are rough. The stone is misshapen, and yet emerging from these blocks of stone are the beginnings of figures. Some of them have no faces. Others are missing arms or hands or feet. 
But you can clearly see that there is a beginning to these figures. What they once were, just a, a rough block of marble, well, that's gone. But what will be, the beautiful sculpture is not yet here. The past is gone, but it's not gone. The future is here, but it's not yet here. We can see it. We can see it forming, taking shape, but the past is still painfully with us. The figures remain locked in the stone. In, this, in our text this morning, that's the way that Paul invites us to see ourselves. That we are caught right in the middle of God's greater vision and work. He says, that, he says I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And I love that he uses the word revealed here because Michelangelo, the, the sculptor, he always believed that he didn't carve anything into the stone. Instead, just that he was revealing what the stone already was. And so for us, God has created us in his image. He's created us good. He's created us to do good works which he's prepared in advance for us to do. And he's revealing that in us through his spirit. And it won't fully be done until we're in his kingdom fully, but, but he's continuing to shape us, to form us. So what we see is that the Christian life is this one where suffering, being stuck in the stone, and glory what he's revealing in us, are together at the same time. Like rough stone, our world is filled with suffering. Our hearts still bear the burden of sin. We see both of these things in our lives, right? We see the sickness that lingers in our bodies, or the conflict that causes war in our world and wars in our homes. The allure of wrongful gain or lustful thoughts. The attacks on Christian freedom from outside and from inside the church. And the list keeps going. But we as faithful Christians, we see all this suffering, but we look to the word of God and we see that our salvation has been accomplished. It's been promised to us through Christ. And we see the beginning of glory. The beginnings of a new creation. The beginning of eternal life. God has begun his work in us, and he promises to bring it to completion. So there we are, these sculptures. We look at our lives, and we sense that we're still incomplete. We're still trapped in the stone. It makes us wonder when God's promise of perfection, when his gift of paradise will finally come to pass. Because the waiting is the hardest part. And the temptation that we all face and we often succumb to, well, is to stop waiting. To stop waiting for God to fulfill his promises and to place our hopes somewhere else. In the Old Testament, Abraham does this, right? He fell into that temptation because the Lord had promised that he and Sarah would have a child. But after years of waiting, the couple took matters into their own hands. And Abraham sired a child with Hagar, the, ma the maidservant. And that misplaced hope led to a broken family and a broken heart. 
Instead of hoping in the Lord, Abraham hoped in himself. What about you? Where have you been tempted to place your hope? Because it can be easy to base our hope on the tangible, on the seen things in our world, whether it be our physical bodies or our nation's leadership or our financial position or even our trusted relationships. And while all of these things are gifts from God, they're, they're meant to be true blessings for our lives, when we place our hope on these things, it's going to eventually lead to disappointment and worry. Right? The, the economy tanks. The test results come back with a bad diagnosis. The bill is vetoed or it fails on the floor. A trusted friend hurts you. A beloved family member leaves. If you base your hope on something besides Jesus, that hope will fail you. Like we said earlier, We've seen that in our lives. We've seen that sin throughout our lives. The fragility of our faith, the weakness of our flesh. We see that we so often fall into that sin of placing our hope on temporary things. And not only do we see that, but we also see, we also experience external suffering in this life. Not as a punishment for our sin, but as a result of living in a corrupt and wayward world. We lament over the growing tide of immorality in our culture, where God's word of truth is being exchanged for the lies of self-gratification. We grieve as we see parents refuse to teach their children to follow the Lord, refuse to guide them in life, and instead encourage them to choose their own religion, their own values, their own gender. We suffer in this culture that is marked by increased hostility and deeper division and an amplified sense of isolation. And we suffer as the church, as the church is becoming more and more marginalized, more and more demonized. And Paul knows this. Paul experienced that. Paul was no stranger to marginalization or suffering. In Rome, Christianity wasn't legal. Christianity stood firmly against the culture of the day. Christians worshipped one God in a city that worshipped many gods. Christians confessed that Jesus is Lord in a city that confessed Caesar is Lord. And they were demonized. They were persecuted. They were eventually forced to hold their worship services in underground tunnels and caves. No wonder in our text Paul uses phrases like subject to frustration or in bondage to decay, or groaning, as in the, the pains of childbirth. Those are the phrases he uses to describe the reality of both the Christian and the creation as a whole. Now Paul describes this life of faith as a life of deep longing for what was promised and of enduring present suffering. But in the midst of of the groaning from these early Christians who were worshiping in underground caves, the Spirit of the Lord was with them. It reminds me of the, uh, the Psalm 139 where he says, where, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Because if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. 
in their weakness, in the depths of the underground caves, the Spirit of God was with them. The Spirit of God encouraged them, comforted them, reminded them of a better future, one of glory, one of perfection, one in His kingdom. And so it is with us. Like those early Christians, we groan. We groan to be free from the sin that obscures who God has made us to be. And we groan to be rescued from a world filled with hardships. As the text tells us, we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. We groan and we wait. When will this suffering be done? When will this sinful heart be tamed? When will the world finally be fixed? When will God reveal the glory of the children of God? How long, O Lord? The waiting is the hardest part. And yet in the midst of this waiting, in the midst of our groaning, though we're like those figures partially revealed but still trapped in the stone, the Spirit of God is with us. And not only is He with us, but He is for us. Scripture tells us that much. It says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. See, God sends his Holy Spirit to help us. We may suffer, but we will not suffer alone. Because, our God, because God's Spirit searches our hearts and He intercedes for us. Because He knows our pain and He prays on our behalf. And He knows our sin and He confesses in our stead. The Spirit of God understands our hurts and He brings it all to the Father for us. He takes our suffering and He puts it into prayer. Because so often we can't find those words to describe our brokenness or to describe our need. And in those times, the Spirit speaks for us. The Spirit is with us. The Spirit speaks for us. And the Spirit speaks to us. He speaks to us through the Word of God to remind us of the work that God has begun in us and will bring to completion on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So yes, the Spirit knows the pain of our suffering, but He also knows and He comforts us with God's vision of a new creation. He reminds us that we've been joined to Christ in baptism, that our sins have been forgiven through the cross of Christ, that our future glory has been promised to us by Christ. So while we lament and while we groan that the totality of God's work of restoring the world is not yet finished, we take heart that the work of our salvation has been finished through the death and through the resurrection of Jesus. Though we lament the present suffering of this world, we celebrate and we rejoice in Christ's victory over sin, in his victory over the world, in his victory over the grave, that he has accomplished everything that was needed for us to receive his grace. And so right now, now, 
You are forgiven of all of your sins. You have the guarantee of an eternal life with him. And though you may not perceive it, his grace is ours. And though we might struggle to believe it, his promise is sure. And though we don't always feel it, his spirit is with us. He's at work in us. He's shaping our lives. He's forming our faith, working in small and sometimes painful ways as he continues, continues his promise to bring about his kingdom. So through Jesus, God has provided us with a lasting, with an eternal hope. So when the crises of this world happen, we don't lose heart. Though our bodies fail us and we succumb to sickness or disease, our hope is in the resurrection and the perfection of our bodies on the last day. Though our nation struggles or the economy wavers, our hope is in the coming kingdom of God and the spiritual riches that we have there. Though our relationships can falter or even fail, our hope is in our reconciliation to the Heavenly Father through the blood of Christ. We have a better, we have a more secure hope than just the things of this world. We have the promise of coming glory. You remember those figures in Florence, the, the four prisoners or slaves, right? They're unfinished, partially revealed, still trapped in the stone. And what's interesting is that they're not displayed in a closed room. They're displayed here in a hallway. And at the end of that hallway stands Michelangelo's most famous sculpture, David. And unlike the prisoners, David is no longer encased in stone. Now he's fully revealed. He stands in glorious freedom. And in that scene, we see both our present and our future. We live in this world, and yet we're sure of another. Presently, we stand in the hallway, unfinished, and awaiting the master sculptor to finally reveal the glory of the children of God. But just at the end of that hall stands God's promised future. One of freedom, one of glory. And we're assured that the work that God has begun in us will be brought to completion. And so like Paul, we consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Amen. We pray. Heavenly Father, you called us out of our sinfulness out of the stone, and you've made us new through the blood of Christ. And yet we continue to struggle with the hardships of this world, with the temptations of our sin. Help us, Lord, to live in this reality of the now and not yet. Drive us to your word, where we find reprieve from our sufferings and a renewed hope in your victory. And Lord, let us never lose sight of the salvation that you have prepared for us through Jesus Christ and that you've won for us in his death and resurrection. In his name, amen.